Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand in this sacred place and preach your word. Another time has passed over my head that I have stood in this same spot and preached to many of these same people. So many times before you've touched me, ministered to and through me, and I ask you that this morning would be no exception. We need your touch. We need your help. We need your blessing. We need your anointing. For in our own selves and apart from you, we can do nothing. Attune our ears to you, O Lord, and your voice. Your word says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And as we're gathered in this place for the purpose of worship, I ask, O Lord, that your word would become a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. At this specific time, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter and 2 Peter deal with life, living the life, a victorious life in the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter is written in a strange kind of Greek. It's rather in the what they call the Koine Greek, which is a different kind of uh, a Greek than the second uh, chapter is written in. The first chapter of, or the first book of First Peter is written in what is called classical, classical Greek. And it's very sophisticated Greek and certainly wasn't spoken by Galilean peasant, peasants that became disciples. So Peter would probably not be a, a person that would speak classical Greek. And there's a lot of question about the authorship of First Peter for that very reason. But it's answered in the fact that Silas was with him and Silas was one who was educated and was a person that would probably speak. So with the condition of Paul's health, eyes that run and a hand that's shaky, in other words, he said many times, I've written this with my own hand. And so because everyone knew that his handwriting skill wasn't very good, so he dictated a lot of his writing. And that's probably the reason why this is written in uh, classical Greek. It uh, really exemplifies the making of a pillar that Peter has come to in his life. When he was that brawling deckhand in Bethsaida, a fisherman who was unsuccessful when Jesus met him and he loaned his boat to the Lord to use for a pulpit to preach. And I want to tell you that God blesses any person that gives him something he can use. Something that you use for your livelihood if you'll give that to the Lord Jesus and let him make a pulpit out of it, hey, boy, there's a good sermon there, let him make a pulpit out of it, then he will use it and you will be blessed by it because Peter eventually caught so many fish that his net break and he wasn't able to hold them, you know, because he simply made a contact with the Lord Jesus and put something in the hand of God that he had used personally every day. But when he let God have it, then God took it and made it tremendously successful. And that's what happens to every one of us. So when Peter's writing this uh, letter, he is writing it with the idea in mind that you are blessed when you give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and to virtue. God has a holy calling that he's placed upon our life, and the Bible called it a, a holy calling that we didn't deserve, 
and there was no meritorious deed that we did to receive that gracious gift of eternal life that God gave to us, but he gave us not just eternal life, but he gave us all things. Can you say all things? All things that pertain to life. All things that pertain to life. In other words, when you get saved, God gives to you a different perspective of life. In other words, it's no longer living for yourself and self-gratification. It's living as a servant. It's that we may please him who has called us to be a servant. We stop living for ourselves and start living for God. We start upon a path of denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following the Lord Jesus. So it's interesting that he says to us, when we get saved, he gives to us a knowledge of the Lord Jesus that causes us to have a different perspective of life. Now, we know that physically, when we talk about life, the Greek word is bio, and from which you get your biology, you know, bios. And that's our physical life that we live every day. And he gives us knowledge. That's part of who we are and part of what we do as a person that is on the top side of the mammal and the chain, but God, when he used that word there of life, he didn't use the word bios. He used the word zoe. That's a different kind of life. But it, it signifies that you are living the life as a different kind of a person from the one who is alive and living a life of just physical Doing. In other words, driving your car, putting your shoes on, putting your clothes on, making bread, cooking dinner, all those things that you know how to do physically. But there's something that you know how to do spiritually if you have this Zoe kind of love. It's different from the kind of life that we have, the Bios kind of life. It is the Zoe kind of life. To have spiritual knowledge is different than having physical knowledge. To know something spiritually, to have something revealed to you by the Spirit of God is different than having your eyes open to a new way to uh, do some menial task. Like some of you make your potato salad and you put dill pickles in it and some of you put bread and butter pickles in it. And some of you whip yours and make it like mashed potatoes, others of you leave it in chunks. In other words, you learn to do it the way you learn to do it. And it's probably your mama that taught you how to do it. It's like this woman one time that she cut off the ham at a certain place and put it in and cooked it for dinner. And they, they are sitting around the table and they were asking questions, Jay. Mom, why do you cut that piece off of the ham? Said, I've noticed every time you fix ham, you cut off that, that piece. Well, well, I don't really know. We've just always done it that way. So she called her mother and she said, Mom, why do we always cut the end off of the ham there? She said, well, I don't know. We just always did it that way. And she said, well, I'd like to know why we cut that off. And so she said, well, let me call your grandmother, and I'll ask her. So I asked the grandmother, said, said, grandmother, why do you cut the end off of that ham like that? She said, so it'll fit in my pan. 
So you learn to do things physically, but when you meet the Lord Jesus, you learn how to do things spiritually. Like you learn how to pray. You learn how to read the Word of God. You learn how to talk to people about the Lord Jesus. You learn how to go about the task of desiring the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So when he talks about life here, God has given us all things that pertain to life in the spirit and he grouped that with something else. He said life and godliness. Only place in the scriptures you'll find those two words put together. Life and godliness. God has given us all things that we need to know about how to be in right standing with him and to live a life that represents him in a proper way. In fact, the word godliness is an interesting word. I think it's Eusebia or Eusebios, and it, it literally means in a right way, in a right way. Well, godliness also comes from a, a word which you, which means worship, and sebomai, which means worship, and eu, which means well. So Eusebia, the word, the Greek word, it means godliness, but it means worship rightly directed toward God. It means that God has given you a revelation of who he is, and you got the right thing in mind when you start to worship. You worship God in a right kind of way. And that Eusebia, is, it means that you know how to worship. You know what? I just really wonder why in the world we Pentecostals think somebody else needs to tell us how to worship. I mean, we've been doing this 100 years. Why in the world do we need somebody to write us a book? Why do we need somebody to come in and do a seminar? Why in the world do we need to buy pamphlets and do all this to learn how? Well, my God, we've been doing it 100 years. No wonder Paul said to people, you ought to be teaching others. Amen. You ought not to need instruction yourself. You ought to be teaching somebody. Amen. You ought to be an example to somebody leading them in how to worship the Lord. Amen. How to serve the Lord. How to go about this business of, of, of being a, a godly person. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Wow. So these things are given to us based upon the promise of God. Wherefore are given to us great and precious promises that by these you might be a partaker of the divine nature. God has called us to glory and to virtue. And we know glory there is a relational thing. You remember Jesus praying in John 26 when he said, Father, glorify them that they may be glorified as you and I had this glory before the world began. And I've told it to you many times, he in us, us in him, and us in God. All of us in God, that God wants every one of us to share in this relational glory and this virtue, virtue. Did you know that God's people are called the righteous? Did you know the Bible said that we are the righteousness of his eye? Did you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world so that we could fulfill the law of righteousness? That Jesus satisfied the law of righteousness? 
and that we're no longer under that law of ordinances and handwritings, that we now are under the law of grace. Amen. That God has brought us to this virtue and this grace and this glory through a relationship with the Lord Jesus and they're all based upon the promises of God. Do you know that the promises of God are yea and amen? Do you know that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise? That God will fulfill his promises that he's made to every one of us. Can you say amen to that? What promises are you talking about that are foundational to our standing in God? Well, number one is forgiveness of sin. He said, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. He said, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. The Bible said he forgives us of all of our sins. That this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world. The forgiveness of sin. God has promised, if you ask, I will forgive. What a promise. What a promise. You know, has anybody ever in this house been disappointed because a promise was not kept? Uh, that, that needs to be unanimous. Everybody get your hand up. If you've lived an hour, you've been disappointed by a promise not kept. And there's cer certain disappointment in that, isn't there? And there's certain hurt that goes along with that. When things were promised that if you do this, then it's going to be this way. Uh, I promise you this and that and that. But with men, that's, that's not a real take it to the bank kind of thing. But with God, when God promises, then that's a take it to the bank kind of thing. That's a fact. That's a, that's a thing that you can depend upon because the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Hey, how many of you know that God answers prayer and that God forgives sin when you ask him, God says, I forgive you. And when God forgives you, God forgets it. Into the depths of the sea, God remembers it no more. God forgives. Hey, how about another promise? Not just to forgive us for sin, but he said, come unto me and I will give you rest. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is a rest. Hebrews 4 and 4, there remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. God has promised you that you can find a place of spiritual rest in him. That when you're weary... When you're tired spiritually, when you're worn and frazzled, there's a place in God that he calls a place of rest. A place where there's no threat and there's no danger and there's no fear. Isn't it good to know there's a secret place in the shadow of the Almighty? Isn't it good to know that the name of the Lord is a high tower and the righteous run into it and are saved? Isn't it good to know that we can dwell under the wing of our great God, that he hides us from the shelter and the shelter of his pavilion of peace, that we can rest from the rough storms of life and the rough storms of the world, that he is a refuge? He is a place of strength. He is a place of love. He is a place of compassion. And that place is called a place of rest. 
The Bible said they rest from their labors. Rest. What a promise that is. Can you think of another promise? He's promised to comfort you when you're sorrowful. Beauty for ashes. Put on the garment of praise. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. He says if you're downcast, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Have you ever just willfully took yourself and put yourself in the presence of God and said, I will delight in the God of my salvation. I will rejoice. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Praise God. Our God says there is rejoicing that's available to you. The joy of the Lord is our. I didn't hear you. The joy of the Lord is our. Strength. You mean God has an energy source somewhere that we can tap into? There's a strength, there's an energy that's available to us? Yes, and it's the joy of the Lord. But I want to tell you, you've got to keep that presence. You've got to keep it with you. It's not something you can just turn on when you walk in church. It's not just a cloak that you wear and take on and put off and lay it up and hang it up. No, a rejoicing spirit has to accompany you all the time. It's like the fellow I was telling you about said he's happy. It's got to go with you everywhere you go. It goes to work with you. Hey, it goes, goes to get your hair cut with you. It goes to the grocery store with you. It goes everywhere with that rejoicing spirit. It's common for people to say to righteous people, why are you so happy? Why are you so happy? I know you. I know where you live. And you're not supposed to be happy. In fact, if I live where you live and put up with what you put up with, I would be anything but happy. Happiness is a choice. This is the day the Lord hath made. I choose, I will. My will is to rejoice and be glad in it. He's promised rest for us. He's promised peace for us. I'll tell you another promise that he's got is hope for dying. Brother, I've been with righteous people when they passed. You have too. Many times. I've heard them say to me a lot of times in a hospital room somewhere, Jerry, Pastor, do you see them? I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't see them, but I'm sure you do. I've heard them make statements like, well, they've come to get me. What? You mean that the Lord doesn't let you walk through the valley of the shadow alone? Are you telling me that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Are you telling me that I don't have to dread and worry? I won't have to cross Jordan alone. 
Jesus died all my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Brother, for the person that knows the joy of the Lord and the person that's had God in his life, death is just a step that you take from this life into another step. There's a step between me and God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to take that step one of these days and I'm going to leave this earthly tabernacle and I'm going to go to where God is. And that's a hope and a peace that I have in living and dying. I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I've got his promise on that, that he's going to go with me when that time comes. Not only is he going to give me hope for my dying, he has promised he's coming back for me. I said he's promised that he's coming back for me. Glory to God, I live every day in expectation of the glorious appearing. We call it the parousia in theology. It's called the parousia. It means the catching away. Praise God, one of these days somebody's going to blink their eyes and find an empty church here on a Sunday morning. Praise God, one of these days somebody's going to drive down that road out there, Jay and look out in Forest Lawn, and they're going to see piles of dirt outside those graves. One of these days, praise God, the newspaper's going to be full of missing person reports. Because some ordinary day like this day, just like this day, the trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Great God, what a comfort it is to know that Jesus is coming. Another promise that he's made to me is he'll never leave me in adversity. Praise God. When adversity comes, he said, I'll walk on water if I have to get through the storm to get to you. If they ever throw you in the furnace, I'll appear the fourth man in the fire. Whatever happens, I'll not allow the water to overflow you. I'll not allow the fire to consume you. Hallelujah. But with every temptation, every trial, every hardship, he said, I will make a way for your escape. Hey, he's not some an absentia person. He is with us, and he goes with us through the storms of life. He stays by our side, never leaves us, and never forsakes us. He said, I promise I won't ever leave you comfortless. I'll come. I'll come. You don't know a whole lot of people that if you call, they drop what they're doing and come. But he said, I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. One more promise. He's promised to answer my prayers. He even said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Praise God. You know, that's a pretty big statement to make. 
<laughs> Rachel decided she wanted to go to college. Graduated from school. I ought to have walked up there and got the diploma. <laughs> she decided she wanted to go to Lee College. So, brother, we got her up there. The president of Lee University, Paul Kahn, is a good friend of mine. He teaches a class so he can stay close to the students. You know, he had 300 in his class and it was psychology. And guess who signed up for his class? <laughs> Little Miss Freshman, Rachel. Paul called me, he said, Jay, I'm so excited to have your daughter Rachel in my class. I said, man, that's exciting. I'm getting uh, really excited about learning more about her. He never saw her again. <laughs> never saw her the first time. She didn't even go to class. Rascal. Found out when semester came, she didn't go to any class. She just parted the whole semester. Because she had this little piece of plastic that I carry in my billfold. And when you say, anything you ask, I will do it. Brother, that's, that's not, not, not good uh, advice. Well, she came home after that semester, decided she'd go to Jacksonville. Went up to Jacksonville, got an apartment, moved her up there, didn't go to class a time. Sorry as she could be. Me thinking she was going to class, getting an education. Brought her home that time. I said, Rachel, I'm telling you, you get you a job and go to work. And she went over the top of the river and got to waiting on tables at the top of the river. Y'all probably saw her. Well, she had this big idea then. She wanted to go to Auburn. So, my Lord, we got us a trailer and loaded up all her stuff and went down there and got her in a... In a Apartment down there, moved her in. Do you think things changed for her? Wow. Long as she's got daddy's piece of plastic. Whatever you ask, I will do it. Boy, God must be a wonderful father, mustn't he? Well, you're right, she didn't stay down there either. Came back home. Got that little sweetheart a job. And she and Hunter started getting serious and married up and living down there in that place at Hidden Meadows over there in Pelham. And I called her one night. I said, hey, sweetie, what you doing? She said, I'm on my way to class. I said, I thought you said you were on your way to class. Where'd you say you were going? I'm going to night classes, Dad, at Montevallo. You're going to classes at Montevallo. Yes, sir. Graduated magna cum laude. I asked her, I said, I, I need to know something. When you were at Lee, you were at Jacksonville, you were at Auburn. You wouldn't go to class. 
I said, how is it that you're going to class and making dean's list and all this stuff? She said, well, Daddy, it makes a whole lot of difference when you pay for it yourself. <laughs> Buddy, she's got two coming along that's going to make her pay for that. God says, I promise you, whatever you ask in my name and faith believing, I'll do it. What a big, big promise that is. What a promise. In verse 8, now he tells us something very different from that. After telling us that we need diligence, that we need faith, we need virtue. And he says for us to add that, that's our doing that ourselves. And to our knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if, 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 oh, I got stuck on a word. For if these things be in you, if these things, these virtues that are given to us by the Holy Spirit, if those things be in you. Oh, it's the will of God that all of those wonderful virtues be evident in our lives. Faith and brotherly kindness and patience. Oh, kind of resembles a list we call fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? But then he goes on and adds another couple of words there, in abundance. If these things be in you and abound. I've got these Greek words up here for it, but it'd be Greek to you. Abound means more than is necessary. Superabounding means more than enough. You mean God wants us not to just be full, but to overflow. But he says, if you're not overflowing and the Spirit is not refreshing and blessing, and strengthening and comforting those around you, then it's not abounding. It's in you, but it's not flowing. It's dammed up. Did I say last Sunday blocked? It's blocked. God wants to get it out of you. Boy, there's so much potential. You're a good channel. He wants it to flow. But for some reason, it's not touching other people around you. The effectiveness of a Christian is the condition of the people around him. Hmm. Because if you're a possessor, not just a presenter, but a possessor, you don't just have that presence of that gift of virtue and and godliness and brotherly kindness and, and patience. But it's not just a presence, it is a overflowing possession. It's something God gives you. Now, he's talking to saints here. So the person that is a child of God, but somehow is like Peter, afar off. The Lord has all of these good things for you, but because of the distance 
involved, then they're not learned and they're not possessed. They're present. They're available. You can, they got your name on you. They're designated for you. God's purpose, God's plan is for you to have patience, godliness, virtue, all those good things, brotherly kindness. But you've got to possess them. Possess them. I went to General Assembly one year, and they always mailed out our credentials, you know, gave us a pack, packet for a bishop, then they do all the registration for you, and they do everything and mail it to you so you don't have to be encumbered by going over there and doing all that. But one year, one General Assembly, somebody had the bright idea that bishops aren't so special. They ought to have to go register like everybody else. So I show up at General Assembly and thought, well, they just lost mine in the mail. I'll tell her to usher her a little girl somewhere and she'll go get mine. And I was told that before you can participate, you've got to go over to a certain place and you've got to have an identification that you are who you say you are. And you've got to do this and do that and do that. In other words, you've got to do like everybody else. That you're not so special. You've got to go over and do all those things and claim it. So the choice is mine. I can sit in the balcony and watch and listen. Or I can go over there and get my registration and I can come back and participate. Hello, somebody. Kind of the way it is. You can sit back and say, wasn't that a wonderful sermon this morning? Didn't pastor preach good this morning? Boy, that singing was so good. I'm telling you, I enjoyed that singing so much. That, that last song they did, boy, that just really blessed me, didn't it? And you can just enjoy all you want to, but you never possessed what God wanted you to have. You got the general scope. You just didn't get your possession. Come on, somebody. See, God wants you to get, if these things are in your possession, if these things are in your possession and they abound, you will never, ever be what? Barren. Barren. Barren comes from two words, which literally means no work. It literally means idleness. In other words, there is no effort being made to get those things that God has for you in your possession. So they're laying up for you, but you're not making any effort to get there and get those things that God wants you to have. Have you got your shin guards on? I've got mine on under my britches. Because the word of God sometimes just kicks the bark off my shins. Could it be that the revival that we're wanting to have, could it be that the stirring of the Holy Spirit that we're saying we need, is it possible that the filling these seats up in this place is dependent upon our Pressing on 
with the process of receiving the things God wants us to have? Could it be God's waiting on us? Could it be that we've had such sweet, pretty music and we've enjoyed the big building and the beautiful things, but we forgot about pressing on toward possessing what God wants us to possess? Could it be that it's more comfortable to sit at a distance and listen to the pretty music and listen to the sermon, clap our hands on the good points, but we never press? He said, if you have these things and you possess these things in you, you will never, ever be a no worker. So then the people that have these things, brotherly kindness, patience, temperance, love, grace, mercy, peace, the person that has those things has them for a reason. They pressed and they possessed those things that God wanted them to have. You don't just stumble up on the blessings of God. Come on, Cotter. You don't just kind of haphazardly stumble into these things of God. You have to seek for these things. You have to ask for these things that God wants you to have. If these things are your natural and rightful possession and are in super abundance in your life, they will constitute you that you will never be idle and you'll never be fruitless and unfruitful in the full knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Wow, that's great. I love that. Now what we've described is the way God planned for us to live. But look at that in verse 9. But he that lacketh these things. What things are you talking about, Pastor? Those things we just covered and read. But if whoever, Sister Sally Sunday School, and Deacon Dan, and Elder Eddie, and Pastor Phil, whoever, pastor, teacher, member, whoever does not have these things is nearsighted and blind. Your King James said, is blind and cannot see afar off. Can't see afar off. What do you mean I, I can't see afar off? He's got a blindness, but it's a certain kind of blindness. Did you know that you can come Sunday after Sunday, hear sermon after sermon, hear wonderful music Sunday after Sunday, but be blinded to the real message and not see it? You know why? It's because the devil does his dead level best to keep you from seeing. He wants to keep you blind where you can't see. We sometimes find ourselves nowhere near where what God is saying to us. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Lacketh these things. That could only be a believer who is barren and unfruitful. Like the previous verse. He's blind. That condition is called lukewarm in Revelation. A sleeping Zion in the prophets. 
slothful in the New Testament, weak in the epistles, a hearer but not a doer in James, or as the writer of this epistle said, following God from afar off. His condition is blind, but it's a certain kind of blindness. He's not blind in the sense that he can't see physically. He's spiritually blind and cannot see. The word is muopazo, and it was used in classical Greek to describe a nearsighted man. Dr. Robertson said he messes up his eyes because of the light. It's literally a blindness that happens. Have you ever looked right straight up at that light right there and, and you'll look away from it like that? What's your tendency to do when, when a bright light shines in your eyes like that? Close your eyes and turn your head, right? Say amen. I've seen every one of you do it. That's the kind of blindness that he's talking about, that you cannot see afar off because something messed with your eyes. Have you ever had the gospel light to mess with your eyes? Have you ever had that light to become so bright that you became blind? Sometimes the gospel just convicts us, doesn't it? Sometimes that light is just so bright that you just squint and you turn your head like that away from it. And that blindness is what he's exactly talking about right here. That blindness cannot see afar off. The things of heaven are hidden to him because eyes are more focused upon the near and the dear than the things of God's grace in the there and then. Messing with his eyes, unwilling to peer into the spiritual, a more excellent thing God would do for, do for him. But here's something even more heinous than that. Having forgotten that he was cleansed. You see that? Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his past sins. You see, when you, when you get to the place that you think of yourself as something other than just a person saved by grace, a person whose sins have been washed away, the only difference in me and other sinners walking this street down here is I have been to Calvary and I've asked Jesus to wash my sins away. I must never forget the fact that when God found me, I was on my way to hell. I must never miss the fact. I must never dismiss the fact that if I got what I deserved, I'd split hell wide open. But God, but God, but God who is rich in mercy with his great love wherewith he loved us even while we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ and raised us up together with Christ. I think so many of God's people today would be so much better off if we just say, God, I no longer want to be blinded and can't see afar off. I don't ever want to get to where the here and now is so dear to me that I lose sight of the then and the there of that home that you've prepared for me that in the future plan for my life that you've got something so much better than where I am now. I'm gonna go there sooner or later, praise God. That old song says I don't wanna get adjusted to this old world. I don't wanna get in love with this present world because God's got one that's so much better. Follow me now to a place called Athens, Greece. And there's a little 
preacher, little in stature, but big giant in faith. And he walks right into a city of Athens which is known for philosophy. It was home to Aristotle, Socrates, the great thinkers and the great minds of that, that era. And this Holy Ghost-filled preacher knows something about being blind because one day he was struck down on a road to Damascus and was blinded by a bright light. And someone had to lead him and take him to a man who would pray a prayer for him. And the scales would fall off of his eyes and he began to see. And as he went into Athens, he saw all the idolatry, all the pagan gods, all the gods of stone and wood, people who were worshiping the moon and stars. And this gospel preacher walked to a place called Mars Hill. And he stood up and he said, all you Athenians, all you Epicureans, all of you astrologers, hear me. And he began preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said, they're, they're, they said, what will this babbler say? Othersome he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange doctrine because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And he made one comment at the end of that that I want to tell you just before we pray. He talked about your unknown God and he said you've built an altar to an unknown God. Listen to what it says in Acts 17, 24 and I'll be through. God that made the world and all the things that are in it, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the time before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him. You know how blind people get around? You can say it, they feel. They feel their way around. Did you know there was a time when we were groping in such terrible darkness, it was called blindness. And he said, if haply they might feel after him. In our blindness, we had to discover him like a blind person would find his way. We feel after him. Listen to what he said. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. You may be following the Lord afar off. You may be cold in your relationship with him. You may have ceased praying and reading his word. You may have ceased attending his house for worship. But I want you to know something, and I've got a word of the Lord from you today. You may be far from him, but he's not far from you. As Paul said, he is not far from every one of us. Praise our God. Stand with me, please. I got amazed as people responded to the sermon. Instead of titling it List, Distance Learning last Sunday, I think Cheryl put it on there, or Eric wanted to put on the 
website, unblocked. That's our condition when we left here last Sunday, isn't it? We unblocked God last Sunday. We said to God, we don't ever want to be blocked. God, we want, to, we want you to have free course to say anything you want to say to us. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to be what you want us to be. We want to go where you want us to go. We want to do your work. Is there anybody in this house today that could, could say, I, I don't want to follow the Lord afar off like Peter did. I want to have those things evident in my life. I want to have them in my possession. I want to have them not only in my possession, I want to have them in such a way that they fill me up and run me over. And that people around me are blessed because they know me. That people around me are ministered to because they know me. That people around me see Jesus because they know me. I want my life to be a light to some soul. If that's your prayer, I want you to step out and join me right down here for just a moment before we go this morning. Come quickly. I'll pray quickly if you'll come quickly. Pastor, why are you having us come down front? Because Jesus called every person that he ever called publicly, publicly. It's important that you say to everybody else, I want the Lord to flow through my life overflow and spill out on others. Sometimes, Martha, I call it a spring up, don't I? You've heard me preach about spring ups. The Bible said there was something in you that would spring up. If you've not had a spring up in a long time, you need to have a spring up. Go home, put you on some good gospel music, find you a red hot preacher, Say, God, I've determined right now that I'm going to have a spillover and I'm going to have a spring up. Hey, you know it's been so long for some people since they had a spring up that they wouldn't really know recognize one if it happened. Brother, we used to sing and we'd have spring ups while we were singing. Brother, the Holy Ghost would just spill over. We just sing ourselves full and run ourselves over. Amen. You ever been in one of them services, Charles? Glory to God. The one of those services where the Lord just spills everybody over. Oh, I long to be spilled over again, don't you? You know those peculiarities about us Pentecostals. You know we're peculiar, don't you? Yeah, you're afraid to bring your friends because you're afraid preacher will show out some Sunday and do something crazy. Us Pentecostals, we're a little bit weird. But did you know Jesus was pretty weird? How many of you would have been a part of his congregation and he called you out and said, hey, hey, come here. And you walked up and he spat on the ground and knelt down and took his hand and started making clay out of what he'd spit on the ground. How many of you would have said, put that on my eyes? No, sir, Brother Jerry. Now, I'll tell you right now, there ain't nobody rubbing no spit on my eyes. Jesus was pretty peculiar, wasn't he? 
pretty peculiar. But he went and washed his face in the pool of Siloam and he came back seeing. An old guy walking down the road and he had a withered hand. And everybody told him, why don't you get that cut off? You've carried it around all your life. It's worthless. There's no feeling in it. It's no benefit to you. It's no use to anybody. Just hanging there. Why don't you get that cut off? But for some reason he... And one day Jesus saw him and said to him, stretch forth your hand. Well, Jesus, are you crazy? Don't you see? My God, the man's hand withered, hanging there like a stump. He can't move his hand. But Jesus said, stretch forth thy hand. And Lord Glenda, he started trying to stretch it and suddenly, pow. Brother, that would have been my cue to have a spillover, wouldn't it you? How would you like to have been in church with Paul that night when he preached till midnight? Lord, preacher, I can't stand long-winded preachers. Preached till midnight, fellow went to sleep, fell out the window, hit the ground, broke his neck. And the Bible said, and Paul went down and prayed over him and resurrected him and brought him back to life. That would have been my cue to have a spillover, wouldn't it you? Glory to God, you're talking about a spillover. Or what if you was at church one day and somebody started tearing up the roof and suddenly they took some ropes and lowered a man right down here in front of Brother Jerry and he was multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, and was laying there with crumpled limbs, couldn't walk. And suddenly, we prayed, said, God, in the name of Jesus, heal this man. He jumped up off that cot and went right out, out that door. That would have been my cue to have a spill over. Or for Bartimaeus walked in. And we say we're glad to have Brother Bartimaeus with us here today. He's from down at Second Church of the Nazarene. We're glad to have him here today. What are you, what are you doing here, Brother Martin? Lord, I've come to get my sight. I've come to be healed. Well, in the name of Jesus, you just be healed and receive your sight. And suddenly he started seeing. Well, that'd be my cue to have a spillover. I want to ask you, what's going to have to happen for you to have your next spring up and spill over. What is God gonna have to do? Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Back when I started preaching a young teenage evangelist, I'd go to churches, they'd be out in the country, Brother Kenneth, and they'd have homecoming tables out there. And those men of the church had made altars out of them. And they'd be praying out there at those altars, the homecoming tables. Yeah, they do work. And when I'd drive up to preach the sermon for the revival that night, they'd just be called, and they wasn't praying like, well, God, we sure do thank you for all you do for us, Lord. Brother, they were praying like a kid had fell in the well. Oh, God, in the name of Jesus, come down in this service tonight, God. 
Lord, save people and fill people with your spirit. Heal people tonight in the service. Lord, they prayed like it was a matter of life and death. And you know what, Rodney? We'd go ahead and start. And you know what would happen when them guys come in church? But they come in church shouting and rejoicing and praising God, and there'd be a spillover. Somehow or another, they brought it in with them. I'd go over there at North Birmingham and preach over there for your daddy one time, Ann. Lord of mercy, I was a little old teenage preacher, and when I got to church that night, to back in Sunday school rooms, but you could hear them all over the place. You could hear them out in the yard. When you got out of your do- uh, car, opened the door, you could hear them in the church. You know what, when I was pastoring at Montgomery, one of the neighbors called the law and said we were disturbing the peace. Yeah, called the law, said we can hear that preacher all over this community out here. Sent a deputy out to tell us to quieten that down. And you know who they sent? They sent one of the members of my church. (laughs) (laughs) And I I looked back there and I saw him standing back there in his uniform. It was odd, you know. So I walked back and I said, Tommy, what are you doing here? He said, I'm out here to make y'all be quiet. (laughs) Said the neighbor next door, said, y'all are keeping her awake. She can't sleep. You're making too much noise. Lord, I wish one more time, Thad, that I'd get in trouble with the law for having a spillover. I wish one more time I could get in trouble with the sheriff for making too much racket, blessing the name of Jesus. Woo! Glory to God, hallelujah. When will be your next spring up? When will be that next time that God just comes in and rushes in upon you and overwhelms you with his presence? Like John on that Isle of Patmos, when he turned genre and he said, I saw him. I saw him. And said his hair was white like wool. About his paps was a golden girdle. Had on a priestly robe down to his feet, and his feet were as fine brass burnt in the furnace. And he said, And when I saw him, I fell as a dead man. Next time somebody asks you, ask us ask you for a scripture about falling out in the spirit. Revelation chapter one. John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he said, when I saw him, buddy, I couldn't stand up no more. And he said, he came over to me. You know, usually when he comes in, he's got something to say. Came over to me and said, he laid his hand on my head. And he said, I am Alpha, and I am Omega. I'm the first, and I'm the last. I'm the beginning, and I'm the ending. And I am he that was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I got the key. Got the key. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, God says, I've got it for you. I've got it for you. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you 
surrendered, a servant in heart and mind. I long to do your will. I am your servant. And in Jesus' name, I want what your word says I can have. And in Jesus' name, by faith, I claim right now those things that pertain to life and godliness. They are my possession. And in Jesus' name, I will exercise my right to rejoice in the God of my salvation. In Jesus' name, I possess it. Amen. Glory to God. Now put your antennas up just like this, and I want you to give about 30 seconds of the best praise you can give to the Lord. Just say, God, I love you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you. God, I glorify you. God, I lift you up. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Thank you, God, for all you've given me. Thank you, God, for all you purchased for me. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for the possession. In Jesus' name, I'll cherish it. I'll grow it. I'll enlarge it because I want to have a spillover. I want to touch people, Lord, with my life. I want my life to count and make a difference. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, I feel good in my sanctified soul, don't you? Amen. I'm not just going to walk around with my justification. I'm going to walk around with my sanctification too. And I'm not just going to walk around with my justification, my sanctification. I'm going to walk around with my Holy Ghost baptism, aren't you? Praise God. Hallelujah. You have the greatest week you've ever had and have a great remainder of this day. Tell somebody. Tell somebody what great things God has done for you. You're dismissed. God bless you and God go with you. It's by prayer. You're the best folks in the whole world.